The Crystal Shard, Chapter 22, By Blood or By Deed The heat of a small fire brought Wolfgar back to consciousness. He came to his senses groggily and, at first, could not comprehend his surroundings, as he wriggled out of a blanket that he did not remember bringing. Then he recognized icing death, lying dead just a few yards away. The huge icicle rooted firmly in the dragon's back. The globe of darkness had dissipated, and Wolfgar gawked at how accurate the drow's approximated bow shots had been. One arrow protruded from the dragon's left eye, and the black shafts of two others stuck out from the mouth. Wolfgar reached down to grasp the security of Aegis Fang's familiar handle, but the hammer was nowhere near him. Fighting the pervading numbness in his legs, the barbarian managed to stand up, searching around frantically for the weapon, and where, he wondered, was the drow. Then he heard the tapping coming from the side chamber. Stiff-legged, he moved cautiously around the bend. There was Drizzt standing atop a hill of coins, breaking away its icy covering with Wolfgar's warhammer. Drizzt noticed Wolfgar approaching and bowed low in greeting. Well met, Dragon's Bane, he called. And to you, friend elf, Wolfgar responded, thoroughly pleased to see the drow again. You have followed me a long way. Not too far, Drizzt replied, chopping another chunk of ice off the treasure. There was little excitement to be found in ten towns, and I could not let you forge ahead in our competition of kills. Ten and one-half to ten and one-half, he declared, smiling broadly, and the dragon to split between us. I claim half the kill. Yours and well-earned, Wolfgar agreed, and claim to half the booty. Drizzt revealed a small pouch hanging on a fine silver chain around his neck. A few baubles, he explained. I need no riches and doubt that I will be able to carry much more out of here anyway. A few baubles will suffice. He sifted through the portion of the pile that he'd freed from the ice, uncovering a gem-encrusted sword pommel its black adamantite hilt masterfully sculpted into the likeness of a toothed maw of a hunting cat. The lore of the intricate worksmanship pulled at Drizzt, and with numbing fingers he slid the rest of the weapon out from the gold. A scimitar. Its curving blade was of silver and diamond-edged. Drizzt raised it before him, marveling at its lightness and perfect balance. A few bubbles, and this, he corrected. Even before he had encountered the dragon, Wolfgar wondered how he would escape the underground caverns. Current of the water is too strong, and the ledge of the water drop too high to go back through Evermelt, he said to Drizzt, though he knew the drow would have surmised the same thing. Even if we somehow find our way through the barriers, I have no more deer blubber to protect us from the cold when we leave the water. I also have no mind to pass through the waters of Evermount again, Drizzt assured the barbarian. Yet, I rely on my considerable experience to bring me into such situations prepared. Thus, the wood from the fire and the blanket that I put upon you, both wrapped in sealskin and also this. He produced a three-pronged grapple and some light but strong cord from his belt. He had already discovered an escape route. Drizzt pointed up to a small hole in the roof above them. The icicle that had been dislodged by Aegis Fang had taken part of the ceiling's chamber with it. 
I cannot hope to throw the hook so high, but your mighty arm should find the toss a minor challenge. In better times, perhaps, relied Wolfgar, but I have no strength to make the attempt. The barbarian had come closer to death than he realized when the dragon's breath had descended upon him, and with the adrenaline of the fight now used up, he felt the pervading cold keenly. I fear that my unfeeling hands could not even close upon the hook. Then run, yelled the drow. Let your chilled body warm itself. Wolfgar set off at once, jogging around the wide chamber, forcing his blood to circulate through his numbed legs and fingers. In a short while, he began to feel the inner warmth of his own body returning. It took him only two throws to put the grapple through the hole and get it to catch fast on some ice. Drizzt was the first to go up, the agile elf veritably running up the cord. Wolfgar finished his business in the cavern, collecting a bag of riches and some other items he knew he would need. He had much more difficulty than Drizzt in ascending the cord, but with the drow's assistance from above, he managed to scramble onto the ice before the westering sun dipped below the horizon. They camped beside Evermelt, feasting on venison and enjoying a much-needed and well-deserved rest in the comfort of the warming vapors. Then they were off again before dawn, running west. They ran side by side for two days, matching the frenzied pace that had brought them so far to the east. When they came upon the trails of the gathering barbarian tribes, both of them knew that the time had come for them to part. "'Farewell, good friend,' said Wolfgar as he bent low to inspect the trails. I shall never forget what you have done for me. And to you, Wolfgar, Drizzt replied somberly, may your mighty warhammer terrorize your enemies for years to come. He sped off, not looking back, but wondering if he would ever see his large companion alive again. Wolfgar put aside the urgency of his mission to pause and ponder his emotions when he first viewed the large encampment of the assembled tribes. Five years before, proudly carrying the standard of the tribe of the Elk, the young Wolfgar had marched to a similar gathering, singing the song of Tempos and sharing strong mead with men who would fight and possibly die beside him. He had viewed battle differently then, as a glorious test of a warrior. Innocent savagery he mumbled, listening to the contradiction of the words as he recalled his ignorance in those days so long ago. But his perceptions had undergone a considerable change. Brunner and Drizzt, by becoming his friends and teaching him the intricacies of their world, had personalized the people he had previously looked upon merely as enemies, forcing him to face the brutal consequences of his actions. A bitter bile welled in Wolfgar's throat at the thought of the tribes launching another raid against Ten Towns. Even more repulsive, his proud people were marching to war alongside goblins and giants. As he neared the perimeter, he saw that there was no Hengarot, no ceremonial mead hall in all the camp. A series of small tents, each bearing the respective standards of the tribal kings, comprised the center of the assembly, surrounded by the opening campfires of common soldiers. By reviewing the banners, Wolfgar could see that nearly all the tribes were present, but their combined strength was little more than half the size of the assembly five years previously. Drizzt's observations that the barbarians hadn't yet recovered from the massacre on Bryn Shandra's slopes rang painfully true. 
two guardsmen came out to meet Wolfgar. He had made no attempt to conceal his approach, and now he placed Aegis Fang at his feet and raised his hands to show that his intentions were honorable. "'Who are you that comes unescorted and uninvited to the Council of Hefstag?' asked one of the guards. He sized up the stranger, greatly impressed by Wolfgar's obvious strength and by the mighty weapon lying at his feet. "'Surely you are no beggar, noble warrior, yet you are known to us.' "'I am known to you, Revjak, son of Jorn the Red,' Wolfgar replied, recognizing the man as a fellow tribesman. "'I am Wolfgar, son of Bjornigar, warrior of the tribe of the Yelk. "'I was lost to you five years ago when we marched upon ten towns,' he explained, "'carefully choosing his phrase to avoid the subject of their defeat. "'Barbarians did not talk of such unpleasant memories.' Revjak studied the young man closely. He had been friends with Bjornigar, and he remembered the boy, Wolfgar. He counted the years, comparing the boy's age when he saw the last of him against the apparent age of this young man. He was soon satisfied that the similarities were more than coincidental. "'Welcome home, young warrior,' he said warmly. "'You have fared well.' "'I have indeed,' replied Wolfgar." I have seen great and wondrous things, and learned much wisdom. Many are the tales that I shall tell, but in truth, I have not the time to idly converse. I have come to see Hefstag. Revjak nodded, and immediately began leading Wolfgar through the row of fire pits. Hefstag will be glad of your return. Too quietly to be heard, Wolfgar replied, Not so glad. A curious crowd gathered around the impressive young warrior as he neared the central tent of the encampment. Revjak went inside to announce Wolfgar to Hefstag, and returned immediately with the king's permission for Wolfgar to enter. Wolfgar hoisted Aegis Fang upon his shoulder, but did not move toward the flap that Revjak held open. "'What I have to say shall be spoken openly and before all the people,' he said loudly enough for Hefstag to hear. Let Hefstag come to me. Confused murmurs sprouted up all about him at these words of challenge, for the rumors that had been running throughout the crowd did not speak of Wolfgar, the son of Bjornigar, as a descendant of royal bloodlines. Hefstag rushed out of the tent. He moved to within a few feet of the challenger, his chest puffed out and his one good eye glaring at Wolfgar. The crowd hushed expecting the ruthless king to slay the impertinent youth at once. But Wolfgar matched Hefstag's dangerous stare and did not back away an inch. "'I am Wolfgar,' he proclaimed proudly. "'Son of Bjornigar, son of Bayorn before him, warrior of the tribe of the Elk, who fought at the Battle of Brinshander, wielder of Aegis Fang, the giant foe.' He held the great hammer high before him. Friend to dwarven craftsmen and student to a ranger of Gweron Windstrom, giant killer and lair invader, slayer of the frost giant chieftain Biggrin. He paused for a moment, his eyes squinted by a spreading smile, heightening the anticipation of his next proclamation. When he was satisfied that he held the crowd's fullest attention, he continued, I am Wolfgar, Dragon's Bane.
Hefstag flinched. No living man on all the tundra had claimed such a lofty title. I claim the right of challenge, Wolfgar growled in a low, threatening tone. I shall kill you, Hefstag replied with as much calm as he could muster. He feared no man, but was wary of Wolfgar's huge shoulders and corded muscles. The king had no intention of risking his position at this time on the brink of an apparent victory over the fishermen of Ten Towns. If he could discredit the young warrior, then the people would never allow such a fight. They would force Wolfgar to relinquish his claim, or they would kill him at once. By what birthright do you make such a claim? You would lead our people at the beckon of a wizard, Wolfgar retorted. He listened closely to the sounds of the crowd to measure their approval or disapproval of his accusations. You would have them raise their swords in a common cause with goblins and orcs. No one dared protest aloud, but Wolfgar could sense that many of the other warriors were secretly enraged about the coming battle. That would explain the absence of the mead hall as well, for Hefstag was wise enough to realize that simmering anger often exploded in the high emotions of such a celebration. Revjak interposed before Hefstag could reply with words or with weapon. "'Son of Bjornagar,' Revjak said firmly, "'you have as of yet no right to question the orders of the king. You have declared an open challenge. The rules of tradition demand that you justify by blood or by deed your right to such a fight.' Excitement revealed itself in Revjak's words, and Wolfgar knew immediately that his father's old friend had intervened to prevent the start of an unrecognized and therefore unofficial brawl. The older man obviously had faith that the impressive young warrior could comply with the demands, and Wolfgar further sensed that Revjak, and perhaps many others, hoped the challenge would be one successfully carried through. Wolfgar straightened his shoulders and grinned confidently at his opponent, gaining strength in the continuing proof that his people were following Hefstag's ignoble course simply because they were bound to the one-eyed king and could produce no suitable challengers to defeat him. By deed, he said evenly, without releasing Hefstag from his stare, Wolfgar unstrapped the rolled blanket he carried on his back and produced two spear-like objects. He tossed them casually to the ground before the king. Those in the crowd who could clearly see the spectacle gasped in unison, and even unshakable Hefstag paled and rocked back a step. "'The challenge cannot be denied!' cried Revjak. "'The horns of icing death!' The cold sweat on Hefstag's face revealed his tension as he buffed the last burrs from the head of his huge axe. Dragon's bane, he huffed unconvincingly to his standard bearer, who had just entered the tent. More likely that he stumbled upon a sleeping worm. Your pardon, mighty king, the young man said. Revjak has sent me to tell you that the appointed time is upon us. Good sneered Hefstag, running his thumb across the sharpening edge of his axe. "'I shall teach the son of Bjornagar to respect the king!' The warriors from the tribe of the Elk formed a circle around the combatants. Though this was a private event for Hefstag's people, the other tribes watched with interest from a respectable distance. The winner would hold no formal authority over them, 
but would be king of the most powerful and dominant tribe on the tundra. Revjak stepped within the circle and moved between the two opponents. I proclaim Hefstag, he cried, king of the tribe of the Elk. He went on to read the one-eyed king's long list of heroic deeds. Hefstag's confidence seemed to return during the reciting, though he was a bit confused and angry that Revjak had chosen to proclaim him first. He placed his hands on his wide hips and glared around threateningly at the closest onlookers, smiling as they backed away from him, one by one. He did the same to his opponent. But again, his bullying tactics failed to intimidate Wolfgar. And I proclaim Wolfgar, Revjak continued, son of Björnagar and challenger to the throne of the tribe of the Elk. The reciting of Wolfgar's list took much less time than Hefstag's, of course. But the final deed that Ravjak proclaimed brought a degree of parody to the two. Dragon's Bane! Revjak cried, and the crowd, respectfully silent up to this point, excitedly began recounting the numerous rumors that had begun concerning Wolfgar's slaying of icing death. Revjak looked at the two combatants and stepped out onto the circle. The moment of honor was upon them. They waded around the circle of battle, cautiously stalking and measuring each other for hints of weakness. Wolfgar noted the impatience on Hefstag's face, a common flaw among barbarian warriors. He would have been much the same were it not for the blunt lessons of Drizduarden. A thousand humiliating slaps from the drow scimitars had taught Wolfgar that the first blow was not nearly as important as the last. Finally, Hefstag snorted and roared in, Wolfgar also growled aloud, moving as if he would meet the charge head-on. But then he sidestepped at the last moment, and Hefstag, pulled by the momentum of his heavy weapon, stumbled past his foe and onto the first rank of onlookers. The one-eyed king recovered quickly and charged back out, doubly enraged, or so Wolfgar believed. Hefstag had been king for many years and had fought in countless battles. If he had never learned to adjust his fighting technique, he would have long ago been slain. He came at Wolfgar again, by all appearances more out of control than the first time. But when Wolfgar moved out of the path, he found Hefstag's great axe waiting for him. The one-eyed king, anticipating the dodge, swung his weapon sideways, gashing Wolfgar's arm from shoulder to elbow. Wolfgar reacted quickly, thrusting Aegis Fang out defensively to deter any follow-up attacks. He had little weight behind his swing, but his aim was true and the powerful hammer knocked Hefstag back a step. Wolfgar took a moment to examine the blood on his arm. He could continue the fight. You parry well, Hefstag growled as he squared off just a few steps from his challenger. You would have served our people well in the ranks. A loss it is that I must kill you. Again, the axe arced in, raining blow after blow in furious assault meant to end the fight quickly. But compared to the whirring blades of Drizdu Arden, Hefstag's axe seemed to move sluggishly. Wolfgar had no trouble deflecting the attacks, even countering now and then with a measured jab that thudded into Hefstag's broad chest. Blood of frustration and weariness reddened the one-eyed king's face. A tiring opponent will often move with all of his strength at once. Drizzt had explained to Wolfgar during the weeks of training, but rarely will he move in the apparent direction, the direction that he thinks you think he is moving in. Wolfgar watched intently for the expected feint. 
Resigned that he could not break through the skilled defenses of his younger and faster foe, the sweating king brought the great axe up over his head and lunged forward, yelling wildly to emphasize the attack. But Wolfgar's reflexes were honed to their finest fighting edge, and the overemphasis that Hefsteig placed upon the attack told him to expect a change in direction. He raised Aegis' fang as if to block the feigned blow, but reversed his grip even as the axe dropped down off of Hefsteg's shoulder and came in deceptively low in a sidelong swipe. Trusting fully in his dwarven-crafted weapon, Wolfgar shifted his front foot back, turning to meet the oncoming blade with a similar angled cut from Aegis' fang. The heads of the two weapons slammed together with incredible force. Hefstag's axe shattered in his hands, and the violet vibrations knocked him backward to the ground. Age's fang was unharmed. Wolfgar could have easily walked over and finished Hefstag with a single blow. Revjak clenched his fist in anticipation of Wolfgar's imminent victory. Never confuse honor with stupidity. Drizzt had scolded Wolfgar after his dangerous inaction with the dragon. But Wolfgar wanted more from this battle than to simply win the leadership of the tribe. He wanted to leave a lasting impression on all of the witnesses. He dropped Aegis Fang to the ground and approached Hefstag on even terms. The barbarian king didn't question his good fortune. He sprang at Wolfgar, wrapping his arms about the young man in an attempt to drive him backward to the ground. Wolfgar leaned forward to meet the attack, planting his mighty legs firmly and stopped the heavier man in his tracks. They grappled viciously, exchanging heavy blows before managing to lock each other close enough to render punches ineffective. Both combatants' eyes were blue and puffy, bruises and cuts welled on faces and chests alike. Hefstag was the wearier, though, his barrel chest heaping with each labored breath. He wrapped his arms around Wolfgar's waist and tried again to twist his relentless opponent to the ground. Then, Wolfgar's long fingers locked on the sides of Hefstag's head. The younger man's knuckles whitened. The huge muscles in his forearms and shoulders tightened. He began to squeeze. Hefstag knew at once that he was in trouble, for Wolfgar's grip was mightier than the white bear's. The king struggled wildly, his huge fists slugging into Wolfgar's exposed ribs, hoping only to break Wolfgar's deadly concentration. This time, one of Bruner's lessons spurred him on. Think of the weasel, boy. Take the minor hits, but never, never let him go once you're on. His neck and shoulder muscles bulged as he drove the one-eyed king to his knees. Horrified at the power of the grip, Hefstag pulled at the younger man's iron-hard forearms, trying vainly to relieve the growing pressure. Wolfgar realized that he was about to kill one of his own tribe. Yield! He shouted at Hefstag, seeking some more acceptable alternative. The proud king answered with a final punch. Wolfgar turned his eye to the sky. I am not like him, he yelled helplessly, vindicating himself to any who would listen. But there was only one path left open to him. The young barbarian's huge shoulders reddened as the blood surged through them. He saw the terror in Hefstag's eyes transcend into incomprehension. He heard the crack of bone. He felt the skull squash beneath his mighty hands. Revjak should have stepped into the circle and heralded the new king of the tribe of the Elk. But, like the other witnesses around him, he stood unblinking, his jaw hanging open. 
helped by the gusts of the cold wind at his back, Drizzt sped across the last miles to Ten Towns. On the same night that he had split from Wolfgar, the snow-capped tip of Kelvin's Karn came into view. The sight of his home drove the drow onward even faster, yet a nagging hint on the edge of his senses told him that something was out of the ordinary. A human eye could never have caught it. But the keen night vision of the drow finally sorted it out, a growing pillar of blackness blotting out the horizon's lowest stars south of the mountain, and a second, smaller column south of the first. Drizzt stopped short. He squinted his eyes to be sure of his guess. Then he started again, slowly, needing the time to sort through an alternate route that he could take. Kerr Koenig and Kerr Dineval were burning.